Introducing Mindful Parenting in a Messy World with Michelle Gale. This podcast is for parents who long to be meaningfully connected to themselves and their children, even as the demands of modern life are accelerated. Enjoy a collection of supportive conversations, meditations, and nuggets of practical wisdom to help you embrace the parenting journey as your greatest potential for personal growth. Welcome to the Happily Family Conference. We are your hosts. I'm Cecilia Hilke. And I'm Jason Hilke. And we are delighted today to have Michelle Gale with us. Michelle loves working with parents who are interested in parenting from a whole new paradigm, the one where we look at ourselves for all the trouble we find out there. She spends her days writing, coaching executives and parents, and speaking locally. She is currently an advisor to the Mindful Schools, Wisdom 2.0, Tilt 365, and on the board of the Holistic Life Foundation. She is a strategic partner with the Trium Group and on the faculty with Wisdom Labs. Prior to her work in mindfulness, she was the head of learning and leadership development at Twitter and at other technology startups. She's the author of the forthcoming Mindful Parenting in a Messy World and the creator of the podcast of the same title. She lives and works in beautiful Marin County, California with her family, dogs, and two sons. Welcome, Michelle. It is great to have you again. Good to be with you guys again. Thank you for inviting me back. Absolutely. We had a great time with you in the first conference. We're excited to be back with you again. So I wanted to start by asking you just about mindfulness in general, because some people have a different definition of what that word actually means. So can you help us define mindfulness and talk about maybe how it relates to parenting? Sure, sure. Um, So mindfulness for me is really just paying attention on purpose, right? So we're paying attention to, to what's going on internally. We're paying attention to what's going on around us. And we're doing it with intention. So we are in, in our lives often, you know, how often we're distracted. There was a, a study, a Harvard research study, I believe, that said, you know, we're distracted something like 47% of the time. And, um, and so even just bringing a little more awareness to our day-to-day life makes a huge impact for us. So even if it's just what the flowers smell like as we're walking by, what the texture of our children's hair is, um, what the water feels like when we're in the shower, right? That's often when people have huge insights <laughs> in the shower. And I, as I coach executives and coach parents and they say, God, the shower, I have so many good ideas in the shower. And I say, ah, that's because you're practicing mindfulness and don't know it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I do too. <laughs> yes, yes. It's just because you're, you're, you're kind of suspending um, any thoughts. You're really just having this experience of the heat and the water and, and things just get really quiet. So that's where we all practice mindfulness, whether we know it or not. And how do you see that uh, relating to parenting? What, how does mindfulness and parenting kind of match up and what can it provide for parents? Yeah. Um, so often parents will say to me, I don't have time to practice. So I can't practice mindfulness until my kids get older, maybe, right? Or until they leave for college. <laughs> and, and, and really, it, we need it now, right? And we don't, it doesn't have to look a certain way. 
So, you know, we, what, what the advice is often, particularly around meditation is to sit at the same time every day, you know, for the same amount of time. And I say with parenting, you just throw that all out the window (laughs) and, and you weave it into what your schedule looks like. Right. So for me, I get up early in the morning, usually, unless I'm tired and then I sleep, right? If I need more sleep, I allow myself some more sleep, but I think we have to weave it into our day, whatever that might look like. So it may be at lunchtime. It may be as our children are falling asleep when we're doing our formal meditation practice. And then we can weave meditation in throughout the day in in many of the ways I was telling you earlier and just bringing awareness to any given moment. And what it, what it gives us, what it offers us is, is a pause right? It's this moment of pause. It's this space. When I'm describing what mindfulness is to people who, who don't have experience with it, I say, you know, if you imagine, I put my two fingers together and I say, if you imagine, you know, you have something happens and then there's a reaction and there's no space in between, right? And as we practice mindfulness, this space opens up and it's in this space, you know, between our two fingers that I'm showing here that we have some choice. And I think all of us as parents, certainly I can speak for myself, Uh, wants some choice, right? When we're triggered or when we're having a reaction or even when we're having a tender moment, right? And to not miss it and to be able to really tap into what the experience is in that moment and be able to share that with our children. Mm. Yeah. I I love the talking about the space between the stimulus and the response and, and how to widen that space because it gives us the freedom to choose our reaction rather than to to choose our response rather than just to react in kind of a knee-jerk way uh so that that's very very powerful and what you said i i don't think i've heard before was tuning into that even in like the good times mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah. great like recognizing yes. this is a time this is a time i want to spend and focus on this this is this is the goal like right let's here. just dwell in this for a little moment mm-hmm. let's just soak this in and be present and really actually feel the love or the connection or whatever's going on in that moment and and be aware of that that's mm-hmm. That's great. Rather than just moving over it. Because like so often, like we hit those good points, we're like, oh, good, I take a breath, you know, or like it, yeah. it, this, that it's even like one of the good moments. And so being able to recognize like, oh, this is one of those times. How valuable is that? Because then we start yeah. to enjoy parenting more. We start yeah. to enjoy our kids. Enjoy more life more. And enjoy life. Yeah. Enjoy yeah. And, our, and our partners too. You know, yeah. I, I took on a practice recently. I realized when I would give my husband a hug, I was really just like trying to get it over with, you know, I was happy to give him a hug, but I was busy. And, and I, I caught myself, you know, because of my practice, I was, wow, this is something I'm doing. And, and so I gave myself permission to, to just sink into that hug with him. And it's often in the kitchen. This is so as it happens for us, you know, we usually kind of cross each other in the kitchen. And I really gave myself permission to sink in, you know, for 20, 30 seconds. And I didn't even tell him at first. I just kind of practiced with it. And, and he noticed it eventually. It's like, I'm, I'm really appreciating these longer hugs. And so I told him what I was, what I was doing. I said, I realized I was rushing through our hugs. Uh, oh, that's yeah. awesome. I yeah. like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I'm definitely guilty of rushing through hugs and kisses <laughs> right? with kids, too. And you know what? They get to an age where they don't want you to do that anymore. I know, they so do. I, I was like, whoa, wait, I need to shift this. And 
even though it's like the 10th hug when I'm tucking them in, just enjoy it. Just be with it for a moment. Like it's, it's going to be okay. Yeah, the world yeah. is not going to end <laughs> by me. No. The extra time. It's not. In these hugs. You're not going to get any more done by not getting gonna, past the hug. And not going to miss whatever was so important for me. Yeah. 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 And I will say, I do think that people come to practice. They come to mindfulness practice usually when something's wrong. Right. So you know, I hope we get to the place where people are coming to mindfulness practice because they just really want to even feel their happiness even more, right? And experience their joy more fully. But that's, in reality, that's not generally, right? There may just be some curiosity or an interest, but the people that I know who practice regularly and who come to practice um, tend to have a reason to come, right? They're in pain or they're having an emotional time in their life that's difficult. They're suffering in some way. So that's usually, and parenting, right? There's a lot of suffering, especially early on. And, and as we move on in the parenting relationship, I, I mean, it's so hard, right? It's so hard. So I feel like parents are so prime and ripe and ready to find practices that can bring some ease you know, into their day and support that pause and get to that place where we can be, be reaching for practice to, to expand even our joyous moments. Yeah. I, That's great. I, I like, I would like to enjoy my joyous moments more and recognize yeah. them more. What you, you started earlier and said uh, that uh, for parenting in particular, it can be challenging to take the time out to just sit and meditate. I mean, we're, I'm, I'm able to do that now, but that's partially because we have older kids, but especially when the kids are younger, uh, what does a meditation practice like working on meditation? What does that look like? What kinds of uh, practices do you, do you suggest, or do you lead people through that are parents of younger kids when they are busy and they have a lot going on? Yeah. Well, formal practice, our formal meditation practice requires stopping. It does require stopping and you can close your eyes or not close your eyes, as you know, and really just give yourself permission to, to pause, right? And I I was on a retreat with John Kabat-Zinn a couple of years ago and, and someone asked this question, like, why do we have to do this regular practice? Can't we just practice mindfulness, you know, in our day-to-day lives, just be mindful of our moments? And he said, well, you can, um, but he feels pretty strongly that sitting, having a regular sitting practice. And for parents, even if it's five minutes, right? It doesn't have to be an hour. It doesn't even have to be a half an hour. Even if you start with just five minutes, you tell your body and your mind that we do this, right? This is something we do. We stop, we pause, we check in with ourselves. And you begin to build those new neural pathways in the brain, right? And we, the, the body begins to relax and it becomes an optional state, right? The more that we practice it, it's just like building a muscle, right? You don't get any muscles <laughs> if you don't go to the gym or you don't do some sort of uh, physical exercise, right? And you don't really get the option of this pause or that space if you don't do some sort of practice. So what does it look like for parents? You know, it can be, you know, I tell a story often. Um, I remember when my kids were very little and I came to my practice, my regular practice. I was very curious in college and kind of popped in and out of interest in meditation throughout my early 20s. And it really wasn't until I had my first 
child, actually my second child that I came to regular practice. And I was very frustrated that I wasn't practicing enough and spoke to one of my teachers. And she said, well, why don't you just sit in their room when they're falling asleep at night? And because I was bemoaning to her how my kids always have to, I have to lay down with them and I have to stay in the room and they won't let me leave and <laughs> I can't practice. All I want to do is go sit on my cushion. And she said, well, we'll just combine the two. And I swear it just blew my mind. I was like, why don't I do that? So I'd cuddle with them a little bit, sing our songs, do our ritual. And I'd have my cushion in the room and we made an agreement. I'm going to stay in your room and do my meditation while you're falling asleep. And I did that for years, for years. And it was a beautiful way to get practice in. I like that. So I love I, that. That is so great. What yes. I hear is that there really is uh, value or uh, it's recommended for parents to really do find that time to stop and to be able to sit in silence, to practice, to build that muscle, to have a formal practice so that when they're in their hectic, hecticness of their life, the busyness of their life, they can be mindful and they can recognize those gaps when there is something going on. And it, it's not that, and that it, it can be challenging to try to find that mindfulness when you don't have a formal practice and you haven't built up those, those uh, practices. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's, it's uncomfortable sitting in meditation, right? It's not comfortable. Your body's often uncomfortable. Your mind is often racing, right? It's not, you know, sometimes you sit down and it's, there's a lot of ease, but certainly when I started meditating, you know, 10 years ago, it was horrible. I mean, I was like crazy. I'm like, who, what goes on in there? I couldn't <laughs> believe what's happening in my mind. I mean, I wanted to jump out of my skin most of the time. And what, where the metaphor for parenting is that we learn to sit in discomfort mm -hmm. and parenting is filled with moments of discomfort with our children, right? Whether they're having a tantrum or they got an injury or they're just whining or they spilled milk all over the floor or they didn't come home from their curfew or whatever it might be, right? We, we gain this ability to sit in discomfort. I mean, so directly related and such a gift to, to our lives as parents. I yeah. like that. Yeah, and I want to talk about that because sitting in discomfort is what I need to do if I want to react thoughtfully and respond thoughtfully yeah. to whatever's going on. If I come from fear or anger, chances are I'm not going to, be parenting as my best self. Yeah. Um, so sitting in that discomfort makes sense to me. Yeah. But I don't think what you're saying, or, or correct me, you're not saying like that we have to just tolerate whatever our kids do. Like anything, we're not talking about like anything goes, have no limits. No, no. <laughs> that would be so horrible. <laughs> No, we're not. I'm not talking about that. It's it's those moments when we know we're triggered, right? We've we've pra let's say we've practiced mindfulness, we've practiced meditation. We're in a moment with our child that's intense. We know we're triggered, right? And that moment that we're triggered is not the time to start, you know, making demands or fixing something, right? Those are the moments where we have to pause, whether we have to leave the room, step away, tell our child, right now, I'm feeling too upset to, to, to share what I want to share with you, right? I want to calm down. I want to go take a few breaths, right? So I can be with you in a different way. 
right? We model it for them because this is what we want them to do. So we have to have boundaries and we have to have a container for our children, right? They, they, they crave that from us. But within that and within that structure, stuff happens, right? Stuff goes wrong. And it's in those moments when we're uncomfortable and we're noticing that, that fear or anger in us. And we're not trying to push it away either. Right? When I heard you saying that earlier, you know, we're not trying to push it away. I love how Elizabeth Gilbert shares the story um, in her book. I can't remember the name of the book right now. Um, her last book, Big Magic. Uh-huh. And she talks about fear. And she talks about fear is with her every time she starts a new project and she stopped trying to push it away. She just said, you know, fear, you can, you can come along on the ride, but you have to sit in the back seat and you can't drive and you don't get to decide what kind of music we listen to and you can't decide what direction we're going. Right. But you can be there. And that is really what happens to us in our meditation and our mindfulness practice. We get to know our fear, right? We get to know what makes us sad, what makes us uncomfortable, what, what triggers us. And, and it doesn't just go away. It never goes away. We just get to be with it a different way, right? We get to, it gets to sit next to us without, without running, the, running the show. Yeah, I, I read Big Magic also, and I loved that ah, analogy okay. for fear. Yes. Because, um, because it's just so powerful to say, oh, you, you can be with me, but I'm still going to be the adult here. I'm still yeah. going to drive the car. Yeah. I'm going to go to where I need to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to look to you for advice. You don't have great advice. <laughs> uh, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so what would you say is the, connect, the connection between um, compassion or mindfulness and parenting? Mm, well, compassion specifically, it, it, it's hard to be a happy, well-balanced parent without any compassion for ourselves. I think, and I, I am so guilty of being hard on myself and feeling like I'm never enough. And particularly when I was working full-time years ago, when I was at Twitter and out of the house, you know, for a few years, working 60 hours a week plus, uh, I felt like I wasn't a good enough mother. I wasn't a good enough parent. I wasn't a good enough wife. I wasn't a good enough employee. And I was really, really hard on myself. I had to work so much to counter that, that voice inside of me that was so regularly telling me, you know, you're not enough. And so, and, and I think parents, no matter what, what, where they are in their parenting journey, whether they're working or not working, um, there's a lot of, a lot of guilt that goes on in parenting and the parents I work with, and just a lot of guilty feelings and a lot of feelings of unworthiness and, and worry and questioning ourselves, right? So I really think that if we can cultivate compassion for ourselves first, <laughs> first yes. do it for us. I it, it will just spill over into the into the parenting relationship with our children. So I think compassion is one of the most important things we can practice, you know, as we practice mindfulness and meditation and, and always compassion for ourselves first. Helps us also be role models for our kids about how to be compassionate. When we can be compassionate with ourselves or with them. I think what we also are showing is how they can do that in their own. And they can be compassionate to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And their friends and people around them. Yeah. Yeah. Even last night, my husband (laughs) took like an orange. It was my fault because I hadn't closed the orange juice thing all the way. And he went to take it out of the refrigerator and like a quarter of it, orange juice, not so nice, spilled all over the floor. And, And I, in that moment, 
right? It happens very quickly. But in that moment, I was like, oh, that was so my fault. And and now I got to clean up all this orange juice is going to be sticky on the floor and I'm such an idiot, right? And quickly I caught it. I caught that I was beating myself up and, and paused and actually found some humor, right? I think humor can be a great counter <laughs> to all of these all of these struggles that we have in, in our day-to-day lives and certainly in parenting, um, you know, I was able to find a little humor and go and help him. And he was super frustrated that it had happened. And, you know, in that moment, I was able to find some compassion for myself. And, and that eked over into him. You know, he lightened up and the kids laughed and, right, it could have been a very stressful situation. And that was a silly little example. But those kinds of things happen to us all the time right? In our, in our parenting, in our parenting lives. And if you, if you're practicing and if you get to know your mind, you will hear that quick, you know, you'll hear that, right? As soon as that happened, I'm like, oh God, I'm such an idiot, right? That was the first thing that I said to myself. And we don't want to, you know, we don't want to be saying those things to ourselves and we don't certainly don't want to say them out loud, right? So our children hear us and then they get that self-talk as well, just like you were saying, right? We want to model for them how to take things lightly, right? Mm. Particularly spilling orange juice, right? Or yeah. milk. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's interesting. I, um, I think that we as parents, we have a lot of opportunities to fail and sometimes we feel like, or maybe we don't fail, but we feel like we're failing. We're yeah. can be pretty hard on ourselves. How can mindfulness help with that? At least that part of the parenting journey about feeling like we're failing. Can I give a really practical example? Oh, please. Yeah. How about with a child who's having a tantrum or kind of a meltdown? Let's get really practical. Yeah. Yeah. What what would you recommend would be a mindful kind of thing that we can think about in those moments? Yeah. Well, when they're having a tantrum, there's nothing, we all know, there's nothing you can say that's going to stop the tantrum, right? It's presence. (laughs) You know, if, if it's going to stop at all, our presence with them is, is kind of our best bet, in my opinion, certainly in my house, right? So I do, one of my boys um, was very moody. Um, he's 10 now, but, you know, three to seven or eight years old, there was a lot of tantrums, a lot of crying, you know, he has a lot of sensory issues that we understand now, but at the time didn't. And I can't tell you how many times I found myself just sitting with him, you know, just being present for his tantrum right? And not trying to change it. I think that's one of our, um, one of our biggest pitfalls as parents is that we want to push away, right? What doesn't feel good. And and in in any part of our lives, right? But in parenting specifically, that tantrum is bad, right? That's bad and we have to change it. And in reality, depending on the situation where we are, right? If we're in the middle of of a store, right? probably can't sit there and just be present for them, right? But we can, we can calm ourselves down. We can take a, a, a centering breath and we can pick them up and hold them, you know, with calm and with presence, even as they're flailing, right? Because there's a difference, right? They feel that energy. If we pick them up and we're just like shaking and stressed, we're just, you know, you're talking to Dan Siegel in, in, this, in this conference, you know, and Dan has that book around interconnected neurobiology, right? We're, we're connected. Mm-hmm. We're not so separate as we feel, right? So if we scoop our child up, right, from the store and we're stressed and we're anxious, we're just sharing that with them, right? We're making it worse, right? If we can get as calm as we can and scoop them up and bring them out to the car and then sit in the back seat with them until they are calm enough to talk, 
right? And like, you see if they want to breathe with us, you just want to hold their hand, just want to sit with them. You know, so I think with tantrums, we have to stop having this idea of them as if they're bad or if there's something wrong, right? And have to feel like we have to change it immediately. If, if depending on where we are, I would, where you are, I would say, sit with it as long as you can, right? Like what trust that builds with our children that we can tolerate and hold whatever is, is present for them, right? That we're not just looking for the snuggly, happy times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it kind of circles back around to the point that you made earlier about compassion is that we have to have compassion for ourselves in those moments. Yeah. Otherwise, if we're thinking, this is my fault, Mm-hmm. and this is a problem, then it's also really easy to go to blame and think, oh, this is their fault too, and this is a problem that they're having this, rather than a place of acceptance or even like, oh, this is how they're learning to care for their feelings. Yeah, this, this is just something that's happening. Their feelings. Yeah. It's not a sign that I've made any sort of mistake or that they've made any sort of mistake. Yeah. And that the meditation, the mindfulness gives us that gap that you've talked about, that opportunity to be like, okay, compassion for myself, deal with my own stuff so that when I pick them up, I'm not shaking and not upset, but that I can actually be there and be connected with them. Um, and so the, the initial piece of that especially is the mindfulness or that, and the meditation that we've been practicing to be able to start it off on a, on a good foot, on a foot that's going to be productive yeah. rather than heading down a path that's that can be very difficult <laughs> and going to like perpetuate the problem yes. rather yeah. than mm-hmm. help the child and ourselves resolve the problem and so do you have yeah. any um do you have any advice for parents or any direction that you give to parents that have kids that deal with moods or that are really moody like that um you, you've talked about tantrums a little bit but is there is there more that you would say about that yeah, I would. You know, moods change, right? And something that I that I've done with with my children and that I teach particularly when I teach parenting groups and companies or locally, I will often um suggest a small practice of you know, when you have a child that's really moody and having a lot of tantrums and or really upset or gets really scared or whatever the emotion might be, is to remind them that it emotions don't last. Right. So when you were upset, let's say, remember when you're, you know, you got a bad grade on your paper or remember when your truck broke last week. You spilled the orange juice all over the floor. You spilled the orange juice all over the floor. Right. And you got mad or got upset. How long do you think that lasted? How long? Right. And usually it's, it's a short amount of time. And so I'll say, okay, you're really angry. You're really mad right now. Let's just press the timer. Right. And see how long it lasts it doesn't stay, right? And so we want to teach our children that moods and emotions are temporary, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the language that we want to be giving them. And that's the language I, I strive to give my, my young children. And also now I have a you know, teenager, right? It's you feel grumpy and moody and you don't know why. And, and it won't last, right? It's temporary. And we can look into it and, and inquire about it within ourselves or we can just sit with it and wait for it to pass because it will, right? And then and then we'll be on to something else. So I think it's um, I think it's the setup of it that we can offer our children to set it up differently. 
It's nice, like the approach yeah. to it and how you look at it. That's interesting. You know, I uh, we we've talked a lot ourselves and talked to other people about uh, educating our kids about emotions and building vocabulary around emotions. Yeah. I don't think we've ever really considered uh, the temporality temporality of emotions. Like they're yeah. temporary. Like they they don't last. Like that's something that I, for whatever reason, like that's that's not like I guess it's a new thing for me to think about in talking about emotions with kids. It's, yeah, it's I always think, been there, but I guess I've never really thought directly about that. Yeah, I think in, in some of the research I've read that the average emotion lasts like ninety seconds, yeah. and in the average day, we'll have like uh, more than a thousand emotions. Yeah, yeah, and finding that language about it is helpful. Like I really agree. And, you know, I um, interviewed Eve Ekman recently on my podcast. Um, and she was talking about, um, um, she's an emotion specialist, right? Her, her father is kind of the pioneer in that space. And they created something online called the Atlas of Emotion. Uh-huh. And it's an interactive map and you can go to it. I, I can't remember the website, but if you look up Atlas of Emotion, um, Eve Ekman, you'll find it. And it's a wonderful map of of the main emotions from research. And as you click on it, you can click through and click through and it gives you more and more language and ways to describe that and ways that that emotion is triggered. Um, so it's a wonderful resource. Um, I use nonviolent communication as well, which I think you guys have a background in. Mm-hmm. If I remember that correctly. Yep. I love that sheet. <laughs> you know, there's a sheet that they, that you can print out. It's, I'm sure it's on their website, I would assume. And, and I've, I've had it, in my kitchen over the years on and off, you know, just, just so we can point to what, what are we experiencing right now? Right. What is it? Yeah. We have the same sheet and it's on our fridge and it's right. 13 years. And we use it for ourselves. I mean, it's not just for parenting, like our interactions. Like I use it probably more than our kids do definitely because I don't know my emotions. I can figure those things out. So yeah, I, I, I really like, I'm a big fan of uh, nonviolent communication from Marshall Rosenberg, as you're aware. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask one more as, as we wrap up, uh, how do we measure our progress when we start yeah. uh, doing these mindfulness practices? Yeah. What does it look like to get better at it? Yeah. Well, as far as practicality, I think it's really helpful to journal and not all people are into journaling and, and parents may not feel like they have enough time to journal, but I think keeping a short journal, even at the end of the day, just kind of reflecting on the day and reflecting on experiences can be really helpful. So you can look back. Um, but in the moment, I think the way that you measure it is just in your experience right? If there's, you know, you notice that there's less tension in your jaw, right? And that your shoulders are more relaxed and that there's not that anxiety running through your system and that you're pausing more, right? You're pausing between, between sentences, right? You're pausing between your reactions. You're able to reflect more, right? You're able to, to take a step back. So I think it's, we can practically measure it by, by writing things down and keeping track. Um, and we can also measure it just in our day to day, like how we feel, right? We just notice, you know, people will often report, you know, I just feel lighter, right? I feel lighter. I feel less, less stressed. Things feel less, life feels a little less urgent to me than it did before. 
That's Wonderful. nice. I think you've inspired me to start journaling again. I used to. I did I did Morning Pages as part of The Artist's Way years yes, ago. Yes, I love that book. I changed my life. I did that for years and uh, every day for I don't know how long. And I just had books and books of journal of, uh, of yeah, yeah. journaling. And uh, I, I've stopped. There was a point at which I just decided to stop. I felt like, okay, I'm done for whatever reason. And I haven't journaled regularly for quite a while. Um, I've got a nice meditation practice, which really has made a difference. But um, as you talk about that, it's uh, a, that inspires me to journal, to uh, be able to see that progress, to see the journey. Uh, because uh, otherwise, it's just like, uh, you know, how I feel at the moment. And I think it's easy enough for me to forget that. So I, I appreciate that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Right. I'm better at journaling than I am at finding time for meditation. And I can absolutely relate to this because then I also go back and read what I was dealing with a mm-hmm. month or two or a couple of years ago. And it's amazing. I think as adults and as humans, we don't recognize how much we've grown. And the oh, things gosh. that worried me back then, I'm either totally over or they're still in my life, but they don't bother me to the same extent. I mean, it's really it's really quite a practice to, to journal and to yeah. help us measure our own growth. Yeah, I like that. As, we, um, as we're wrapping up here, do you have any final words or any ask that you want to make for the audience? Mm, well, um, I, I make an offer is that if they would like to go to my website, uh, which is michellegale.com, I have a free uh, busy parents guide to practicing mindfulness if they sign up to my website and it includes meditations and just different tips, things like we talked about today. So I have that to offer uh, your community for listening. And um, also I have a podcast, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, that's on iTunes and Podbean and Stitcher. Uh, so you can check that out. And there's also, there's interviews on there and there's also uh, meditations and just some short kind of learnings around mindfulness and parenting. And my book will be coming out, my first book in August, September. And I will I will definitely share updates on that through my newsletter. So if they sign up on my website, I can I can keep them posted on that. Awesome. We're so excited Yay. about your book. We talked about that a little bit before the yeah. interview, I know. <laughs> and uh, I would love to talk to you more about it uh, in another interview later on. That'd be great. This is really uh, exciting, I know, because uh, you have such great value to provide, and having that in a book is just so valuable. And, you. uh, in your podcast, I mean, that's so exciting to uh, have that kind of access to you. So thank you for that. We'll uh, include links to those in the speaker notes, and uh, I encourage everyone to go and sign up so you can know about the release of her book. And uh, I don't think we have anything else. Do you have anything else you want to say? I just want to thank you, Michelle, for everything that you're doing for the world and for sharing our wisdom with us here today. It's been wonderful speaking with you, and I'm inspired and I'm touched by our conversation. Absolutely. I look forward to another one with you. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World with Michelle Gale. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share our podcast with a friend. And give us some stars and a favorable review at iTunes.